Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. It was September of 1996. I was in my first week as a freshman in Bible college, sitting in the first lecture of Old Testament survey. Now, you need to remember I had been in church multiple times a week since fifth grade. I had been in Sunday school every Sunday for seven years. I had read my Bible regularly. I had memorized Bible verses. I had graduated as salutatorian from my Christian school, uh, uh, high school class. I had been in daily Bible classes. I thought I had a pretty good understanding, at least for that age of my life, on, on the story of the Bible and many of the stories in the Bible. But I was about to be completely and utterly confused by the first major assignment our teacher gave to us. Our, our professor stood up and he said, as he went over the class syllabus, he said, you will have a nine-page paper that you'll have to do this semester on three eras of Israel's history. And I looked at the syllabus to see if I understood what words he was saying, three eras of Israel's history. And again, I, I had been a pretty good student up to that point. I normally could pick up concepts fairly easily, and, 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 I, and I thought, I'm going back through Sunday school. I don't remember them teaching me anything about Israel having different eras. I don't know what that means. I don't, what, where, where do I, is there a book on that? Where do I find that? I raised my hand. True story. I raised my hand. I said, excuse me, sir. Three eras of, what, what are you talking about? What is, what is this? Three eras. He's, I said, what are those eras? How, how do I write nine pages about them? Where do I start? What, is there a book? And I was being, is there a book I order on Amazon that I do like a book report on? What are you talking about? And they never taught me this in Sunday school or in my Christian school Bible class. Where do I even start? And he said, well, eras of Israel's history, eras like theocracy and patriarchs and kings in captivity. And that didn't really help me at all. I said, I still don't know what you're talking about. Theocracy. I've heard of democracy, theocracy. He said, like when God was the one governing over his people, the nation of Israel. Okay. So like, where do I find that? Is that, is that a book? Is there, so where in the Bible? And, 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 and then he said, the patriarchs. And I'm like, okay, who's that? He said, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the fathers that at one time it was family. Actually, called, it wasn't called patriarchs. I might have understood that a little more. He said, one of the errors was family government. It's like, what does that mean, family government? He said, like the patriarchs. And he said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when, when Israel was just really a family, when it was just a, a few generations of people, they were governed by their fathers. And, and, and then I said, is it kings in captivity or kings and captivity? I, where do I? And he said, what you need to do, you need to start in Genesis. You need to go read Genesis. And, and I began to read that semester, and in that semester we had to read the entire Old Testament in one semester, so I read all of Genesis and I read the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, before the final exam, and, and, and that was one of the assignments of that class. And, 
I began to read Genesis and study, and, and I'll be honest, when I turned, it was the end of the semester project along with some other things. When I turned that paper in, it was one of my proudest achievements. I, it's probably one of the only reports that I still have in a box somewhere in our garage uh, because I really felt like I had grown in my understanding of God's Word. I had learned something about the eras of Israel's history, and, and where we find ourselves today in Genesis is the beginning of those eras because it is the beginning of the nation of Israel's history. What we still call Israel today began what we're going to be reading right now in Genesis chapter number 12. And Israel has had a long and rich history, a very biblical, scriptural history. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 12. If you have your Bible, we're going to turn there. And maybe some of you are like me in that Old Testament survey class. Maybe you're going to learn some things that maybe we hadn't seen before or that we didn't quite understand in, in this week and in the coming weeks. Hopefully, we're going to put some things together because understanding these foundations really makes the rest of the Old Testament for sure, and even much of the New Testament, make sense. It's because the rest of the Old Testament is going to be the history of this nation, this family, if you will, that begins right here in Genesis chapter number 12. We are about to study some of the most important and pivotal chapters in all of Scripture and really in all of world history. These chapters are going to be some of the most pivotal and most important chapters in all of Scripture and all of world history. And since TJ's not doing slides, Brother Ryan's talking and missing that slide, so we designed it very nicely for you there. And uh, there we go right there. All right. Just it when I know there's a slide and it doesn't go up, it messes with my OCD. That's when you hear me repeat something twice, and I'm like, click the mouse there, guys. All right. Here's where we're going. Where have we been? Genesis 1 through 11. Where have we been? We have seen creation, the creation of man. God created the world six days out of nothing, spoken into existence. We saw all of that. We've been in this, in, this, uh, uh, in this book for about 20 weeks or so, and we saw that. Then we saw the fall of man. We saw Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the fall of man. We saw them go out. We saw God's mercy and grace. But then we saw man doing that which is right in his own eyes, every man doing only evil continually, the wickedness of man. And so we see the judgment of God. We saw that along with the redemption of God through Noah's flood, through the flood and Noah's ark. We saw all of that. And then what we saw last two Sundays ago, the week before our missions conference, about a hundred years after they get off the ark, but a hundred years later, man has messed everything up again, and God scatters them at the Tower of Babel. Remember that message two weeks ago? That's where we find ourselves now. We, we have about 200 years of civilization following the flood, and, and so it's not, a, it's not a huge population, but we have about 200 years of civilization. They're, they're divided into about 70 different people groups and languages scattered in, in different parts of the known world at that time living there. That's where we come, and we finished with the genealogies that finished with Abraham, his wife Sarah, and Lot. And, and we need to understand Abraham is one of the most pivotal characters in all of Scripture. He's going to become here the father of the nation of Israel, and from this chapter on, the, the Old Testament is the story of these chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the children of Abraham. It's the story of their need for a Savior. 
they messed stuff up and they need a savior. And it's the story of how that savior came from their nation, from their family, Jesus, a Jewish Messiah. He came from the lineage of Abraham as was promised and as was prophesied, but he didn't just come for the nation of Israel and he didn't just come for the Jewish people. He came for the whole world. He came for all of us. And that is the story of the Bible. I normally give you the message title at the beginning of my message, and you kind of know the message and what the, maybe the main thought or what we're going to be building on is. This morning is going to be different. We're going to walk through Scripture this morning together, and we're going to see some things that I think will be helpful. And then I'm going to give you the title and the main application right at the end. So when we get the title, uh, when you get the title up on the screen, ladies, you can put your shoes back on at that point, all right? That means we're about done and we're going to be, uh, be finishing up in just a couple of minutes. But let's walk through Genesis 12 together, and I want to learn some things together. What do we see when the life of Abraham, that, 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 that this man that God had chosen, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, or a friend of God, I should say, God, the Bible calls him. What do we see in verses 1 through 3? We see God's leading in Abraham's life. Look what it says in verse number one. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Sometimes God's leading can be uncomfortable in our lives, can it? Leave everything that's comfortable to you and that you know unto a land that I will show thee. And here's what he says in verse 2. This is sometimes called here and then also in verse chapter 14, the Abrahamic covenant or promise. He said, I will make of thee a great nation. Abraham, I want you to go. I'm going to tell you where you need to go, and I've got a great plan for you. I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That is a prophecy of Christ. He said, in you, Abraham, in your lineage, in your family, in your family tree, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. The Savior, Messiah, is going to come from you. And he says, there's going to be a special blessing upon the nation of Israel. At that time, it's not called Israel. The name Israel doesn't come for four more generations. That comes when Jacob's name is turned to Israel. You have Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob's name gets turned to Israel. He has 12 children. Then you have the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to get to all of that in the coming weeks in our study. So what does God say here to Abraham? I have a plan for you and your family, and it's bigger than you could ever imagine. And I just want to stop and say here, this is not my message, but God's Word is very clear that God has always had a very special blessing upon the Jewish people. That's not always a popular message in in, in certain generations and in certain cultures, but it's a truth of Scripture. He made a promise here, and you can follow that promise and see it fulfilled for thousands of years. There is a special blessing upon the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and it really defies logic, the amazing things that have come from that tiny nation and the providential protection they have received through the centuries. There, there really is no explanation for their continued existence today other than the providential protection and mighty hand of God. I was just in Israel about three weeks ago with a group from our church on a Holy Land tour, and I was talking to uh, our tour guide who had served in the uh, Israeli Defense Forces and, and was somewhat a general or something, I forget the exact title, but he was a commander of men, a leader of men. And I talked to him and I said, I said, how do you explain Israel's protection with everyone around them basically hating them and wanting to annihilate them? He said, there is no human explanation. 
There's no reason we should be here, but there is a biblical explanation. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to do that. It's interesting what has come from the Jewish people. Uh, did you know that as of 2020, Jewish people made up less than one-fifth of one percent of the population of the earth? And yet more than 20% of the Nobel Prizes have been awarded to people of Jewish descent. And we could keep going there, but, but God said, I will bless you. And then he also said, there's a blessing on those nations, on those people that are friends to Israel. I believe that America has enjoyed blessing in our lives and in our country historically because we have been an ally and a friend to Israel. I can't explain all of that, but God's word promised right here, I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. And go ahead and study world history and see if that promise hasn't played out throughout the centuries uh, and throughout those times. So God tells Abraham his plan for him. I have, I have a special plan. I'm going to make a great nation of you. I want you to see not only God's leading, but secondly, I want you to see Abram's obedience. Look at verse number four. So here it is. Great statement. So Abram departed as what church? As the what? Lord had spoken unto him. You know a great plan for your life is to live your life as the Lord has spoken to you. You say, what does that mean? I, I listen for certain voices, or I need to sit in my house and wait for, the, how does the Lord speak to us today? He speaks to us through his word. A great plan for you is to live your life as the Lord has spoken to you. What does the Bible say how you ought to operate, how you ought to run your business, how you ought to lead your family, how you ought to interact with your friends, how you ought to date, what types of things you should do within your marriage and outside of your marriage. Follow God's plan. Abram departed. He left everything that he knew as the Lord had spoken unto him. He obeyed. And Lot, Abram's nephew, went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came and Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim, under the place of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. What we see here, when God spe speaks, we should obey. Amen. Don't question, don't doubt. When God speaks, we should obey. And God speaks to Abram and he obeys. He departs right away. He obeys. We get messed up when we do what we want, not what God says. The farther a person, a family, or a nation gets from God's plan and God's principles and God's word, the more trouble and tribulation we will find ourselves in. Then we see next in verse number seven, we see God's promise. So we see God's leading, Abram's obedience. We see God's promise. Look at, would you read verse number seven aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. I have those two little words circled in my Bible, this land. And it's interesting, this land that God promised thousands of years ago to the Jewish people has been the whole issue with Israel and her enemies for thousands of years. You ever stop to think about why so many people have fought so hard for one little strip of land along the Mediterranean Sea? One little tiny piece of land, not very big. 
One little tiny piece of land, and, and, and yet that tiny little strip of land has been ground zero for countless battles, for wars, for, for coups, for all, just this little tiny strip of land. This is the land, the land of Canaan. This is the land that in Genesis 12, before there ever was in Israel, God promises to Abram, he gives him promises in verses two and, uh, 1, 2, and 3. He said, a, a land I will show thee, I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, I will bless them that bless thee, and then verse number seven, I will give you this land. It's been the whole issue in the Middle East for thousands of years, and by the way, it's still hotly contested today. This land is hotly contested today. There are bombs that drop on a regular basis on this land between the Arabs and the Israelis. Why? The Palestinians, the Gaza Strip, all of those areas, that all comes from this. God promised this land to the Israeli people, and since that promise, it has been, it has been fighting and war and conflict and contention over this little piece of land. Through the years at different times, this land has been under the control of Canaanites, of Jews, of Philistines, of Assyrians, of Babylonians, of the Ottoman Empire, of Persians, of Greeks, of Romans, of Arabs, of Turks, of Crusaders, of Mamluks, of Egyptians, of Islamists, of the British, and now since about 1948, back in control of the, of the Israelis. Do you ever wonder, number one, why can't anybody keep this land for very long? It's always somebody else. And number two, why does everyone care so much? It goes back to Genesis 12. God promised it to these people, and for much of the last century, the Jews have been in control of this. That's why it was such a big deal in 2020 when President Trump, he moved the American embassy to Jerusalem and acknowledged that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. What was that? It was a statement of support of the Israeli people, but it was also an acknowledgement that this land was promised to these people by God. Now, there are many people that don't like what I'm saying today, and I'm not seeking to be political, I'm seeking to be biblical. There are many people that would disagree with this, but you don't understand geopolitics, and you don't understand— no, but I do understand Genesis 12, and God said, I will promise this land to these people. So we see God's promise, and what was Abram's response? Verses 8 and 9, we see Abram's worship. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. By the way, a great response to God's promises and to God's gifts in your life is worship. Got to give it back to you. I praise you. I don't take the glory for myself. I don't take the credit for myself. It's not what I've done. It's what you've done in my life. It's not about me. It's about you. God, thank you. I worship you. What, what Abram, so God makes some promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. What does Abram do? He gets alone, and he sets up an altar, and he, he stacks some stones there, and there he brings honor and glory to God. He thanks God for God's good gifts in his life. And then look at verse number 10, and this will end up being our text verse would you look at the first, oh, first eight words of verse number 10? And there was a famine in the land. Would you read those eight words aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And there was a famine in the land. One more time, a little louder. And there was a famine. This whole story pivots on that little phrase. Number five, we see here God's testing. So we see God's leading in Abram's obedience. We see God's promise in Abram's worship. We see God's testing. 
in this place of blessing, this place of worship, this place that God had promised, this place that God had led Abram to. He was right in the middle of God's will. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He had just finished worshiping, and what came into his life? A famine. May I stop and say that just because you're facing a struggle or a trial or a challenge or a difficulty, it doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. It doesn't mean you're doing the wrong things. Now, it might, but don't always associate a challenge meaning that God has forsaken me, a challenge meaning a disappointment in my life meaning that God is no longer with me. God was still with Abram. Abram was exactly where he was supposed to be, doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, and yet there was a famine in the lamb. Abram endures testing. Just because you're facing testing does not mean you're in the wrong place. Testing is often part of God's perfect plan for our lives. Can I say that statement one more time? It's not a slide, Brother Ryan, don't worry. I'm just saying it a second time for emphasis. <laughs> Testing is often part of God's perfect plan for our lives. We don't like that, do we? We don't like testing. And we often view it as something negative, but it wasn't. It was part of God's plan. Testing can purify us. It can humble us. It can teach us. It can prepare us. I want to give you just a little reminder about the famines or seasons of testings that we may face. Number one, I want to remind you a famine is always temporary. Show me anywhere that a famine has endured in, in, a, in a place forever. A famine is always temporary. It's always a season. And a good reminder in your life, testing and trials and struggles, they're always temporary. This too shall pass. It's a season. Now, when we're in the middle of it, we think this will never go. Have you been through any testing in your life that seemed like the end of the world, and now you're out on the other side, and you say, I can see how God used that in my life. Okay, God brought me through, and God showed himself strong. But when you're in the middle of it, this is the end of the world. A, a famine is always temporary. And I want to remind you, number two, a famine is always under God's control. Who controls the rain? Who brings the fruit? Who blesses the land? God hasn't forgotten you because you're in a time of famine. God hasn't forgotten you. He knows where you're at because you're in a time of testing or struggle or discouragement or this season of your life. It feels like, man, there's no fruit growing. There's nothing happening. A famine is always temporary, and it's always under God's control. God controls. The Bible teaches us the weather patterns and the rain and fruitfulness and all of those things. I want you to see, number six, Abram's response to testing. So we see God's testing. I want you to see Abram's response to testing. Look at the second half of verse number 10. So there was a famine in the land. Would you read the rest of the verse, starting with, and Abram with me aloud. Ready? Begin. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. I don't, I don't remember. Do you remember anything in chapter, in verses 1 through 3 or 1 through 6? Do you remember anything about... I'm going to take you into a land that I've prepared for you, and I promise it to you. And when stuff goes bad, run to Egypt. Did you see anywhere in there where God told Abram, if stuff gets a little tough, go to Egypt? I, I, I don't remember that. By the way, what is Egypt? All through Scripture, you'll find in the Old Testament, Egypt is often a picture of the world. It's a picture of unbelievers. It's a picture of the world system. It's a picture of those that are against God. Now, God did some amazing things in Egypt as a reminder that there's no government, there's no culture that can, that can hold back the power of the gospel, that can hold back the power of our God. Don't get, don't get all worried about whatever's happening in governments. God is, he can, he can handle all of that stuff. But, Ab but Abram wasn't supposed to go to Egypt. 
There was a famine in the land, and so what did Abram do? When testing came in his life, he had two choices. And by the way, the same thing is true in our lives. When testing comes in our life, we have two choices. He he had two choices. He could choose either faith in God's plan or faith in his plan. And you and I do the same thing. We can choose faith in God's plan or faith in our plan. And Abram said, you know what, God, I know you promised this. I know you led me here. I know I just worshiped you, but I wasn't counting on a famine. Following you wasn't supposed to include a famine. I've got to figure this out. I've got to make this work. I can't just stay and wait on you and see how you're going to work it out. I've got to figure it out instead of trusting that you have it all figured out. And by the way, when you and I are facing a testing, we have one of those two options. We can try to figure it out, or we can trust that God already has it all figured out. Abram chose to doubt God's promises, to doubt God's plan, to go with what made sense to him, which is always dangerous. And by the way, this won't be the last time that God makes a promise to Abram that seems impossible, and he takes matters into his own hands because there's a famine in his wife's body. There's no way she could have a child, so I've got to figure out God's plan for myself. By the way, that next lapse in faith is going to cause going to cause great worldwide struggle for centuries. The Israeli arrow conflict comes from Abram's lapse in faith. Would to God he would have learned his lesson here. He, doesn't, he, he goes, and, and, and once we start down the path of trusting ourselves rather than trusting God because things aren't going as we would like, we start to make really bad decisions. Would you look at verse number 11? And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. So Abram looks at his wife, and and to put it in modern vernacular, he basically says, you're, you're beautiful, man. You are, you are, what a woman. You are one hot mama. You are something to behold. And we're going into Egypt, and you're going to be turning some heads. Now, I, he's 75, so she must have had a good skincare regimen or something. I don't know what was going on here, but she took good care of herself. And, there, and by the way, he wasn't wrong. This wasn't a false sense of beauty, because when he got there, everybody started talking. Have you seen that new lady in town? And so Abram looks and says, my supermodel wife, they're going to kill me. And what does he do? Because he chose not to trust God, what do we do when we start to go down our own path of figuring out ourselves? I see here in verses 11 and 12, we scheme. We begin to come up with our own plans. We try to figure it out. We manipulate things. We scheme. Look at verse number 13. So here's Abram's scheme. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Not only do we scheme, but we lie. Okay, whatever it takes to get this, this is, God has just gotten done promising him, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to give you all of this land. Abram says, thank you, God, I worship you. You're the one that I'm living for. Famine comes, and what does Abram do? He starts, he, we're going to go to Egypt. Oh, I didn't think this one all the way through. Okay, well, we got to lie about this, and we got to do that, and we got to scheme here. And then notice what we do, we corrupt morally. Look at verse number 14. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants, maidservants, she asses, camels. He goes here, and what happens, exactly what Abram thought would happen, he comes to town, 
Now, I don't know that what Abram thought would happen was going to happen. We don't see anywhere that Pharaoh would have killed him. Abram maybe had a, a wrong fear there, but he was right. Everybody started talking. Pharaoh, hey, did you see Sarah? Have you heard about Sarah? You see, check out her Instagram. Go take a look. Go look. See what's going on. And before he knows it, Pharaoh's bringing Sarah into his house. And what's happening? Abram has corrupted morally. I would say he corrupted financially morally. Says he entreated him well. Abram got a whole bunch of stuff, and he didn't care how he got it. He got, he, got, he got stuff, he got servants, he got all these things. Pharaoh gave him a bunch of stuff as a dowry, if you will, as a gift for his sister, Sarah. And not only did he corrupt more, not only did he corrupt financially, I would suggest he corrupted sexually. That's his wife that he is willingly giving to go have relations with another woman. All because he couldn't trust God. All because there was a trial that came. All because there was an unexpected road bump in God's will for his life. So now I've got a scheme. I've got to figure this out. And I got whatever it takes, even a little white lie there. They'll never know. And then it leads, I'm going to corrupt my, my morals. I'm going to corrupt my, 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 my finances. I'm going to corrupt financially. I'm going to corrupt uh, sexually. Was willing to do all of those things. And then you see verses 17 through 20. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? By the way, if he wanted to, he could have killed him here and he didn't. Why sayest thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife? Isn't it interesting that, that the man that is not really a, not a follower of God, Pharaoh, the leader of the world, has better morals than the man of God? You were going to let me take your wife as my wife? Why would you do that? Well, why are you doing that? Why did you tell me she's my sister? Now, therefore, behold, take thy wife. Now, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So here's what we see. He's in Egypt, and now his scheme didn't work. His plan didn't work. His, his life, his way to figure it all out didn't turn out the way he thought. He got caught in his lie, and he's leaving again. And I see number seven, and we're almost done walking through this. I see Abram's repentance. Look at verse number one. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. What did Abram do? He got back where he was supposed to be. His repentance. Repentance, the word repents, the idea of an about face, to turn 180. Abram in Egypt, he said, I messed this up. I got to get back and get back to worshiping the Lord. I got to get back to Bethel. I got to get back to where God had led me. I got to get back, and we just sang this morning, what a beautiful song, Resurrender. He went up out of Egypt. Some, there might be someone in here, that's where you find yourself, and you need to get up out of Egypt, if you will. That picture of fleshly living, that picture of, of, of where there was not much uh, uh, of the influence of God there, that there was not, they were not worshiping the God Jehovah there. You need to get up out of Egypt and back where God has led you. The right response to wrong actions. When you've messed up, get back to where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do in the place God told you to go. If you load it up in your car, 
especially before the days of GPS. Remember those days when you had a Thomas Brothers map in the little pouch behind your, your passenger seat? Anybody have one of those growing up? Or, or your parents did? Had one of those maps and you pull them out and no one knows what you're reading and, and how to get there. And there's all these pages. And you were going to go on a road trip to the East Coast. And you started out. And six, eight, 10, 12 hours in, you found out you're getting closer to the Oregon border. What would be the right thing to do if you were on the wrong road, going the wrong direction? Would it be, well, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to double down. I'm I'm just going to keep going and uh, end up in Canada and eventually Alaska and and just keep going. Or what would be the smarter thing to do if you really want to get to the right destination? Just to admit, I got on the wrong road. I started going the wrong direction. I need to backtrack. I need to get back to where I was supposed to be. I need to get back in my relationship with God. I need to get back to serious about the plan God had for my life. I need to backtrack so that I can go the right direction. I need to get back on the right road that will take me where I'm supposed to be heading. Church, family, repentance is a good thing. In the Bible, the psalmist said, a broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not refuse. He gives grace to the lowly. He gives forgiveness to the sinner. He gives mercy to the repentant. Repentance always precedes restoration. And you might be in your life in a spot that you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You've gotten off track. You've gone into Egypt. Some circumstances of your life following God didn't look the way it was supposed to. It didn't turn out the way you thought it would. It brought some pain in your life you weren't expecting. And so you've taken matters into your own hands. And what the answer is, is not to stay there. It's to get up out of Egypt and go back to Bethel, that place of God, to get back where God has called you to. There is no restoration without repentance. I won't read in chapter 13. I won't read verses 5 through 13. You can read that on your own. In this, we see a great, God begins to bless Abram and Lot. When they're where they're supposed to be, God pours out amazing blessings. By the way, the famine is over. Now there's so much good happening. Their livestock, they don't have enough room to keep them all. Their business is booming. And what happens is Abram's servants and Lot's servants start to fight. I preached a message a few months ago on a Sunday evening entitled Diffusing the Conflicts of Life from this passage. It's why I'm not going to go through this. If you'd like to go back on our our archives or podcasts and listen to it, it has principles in it that I use literally every week of my life in dealing with conflict in my life or within the church or in counseling, diffusing the conflicts of life in our family. And we see some amazing principles of how to diffuse the conflicts of life from Genesis chapter number 13, verses 5 through 13. And it's in that passage where Lot is going to choose to start looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's in this, this passage when Abram takes the rest there and he, he's where God wants him to be. And the last thing we see in chapter 13. So we see Abram's repentance. What do we find after Abram's repentance? We see God's grace. Look at verse number 14. Verse number 14, And the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, and the length of it, and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Don't you love that when Abram humbled himself and repented, that God was standing there with grace. 
and with open arms. All right, Abram, welcome back. You're back where you're supposed to be. And I want you to know, Abram, my promise, you didn't negate my promise with your actions. Everywhere you can see, this is the land that I have for you. This is what I have for you. And a good reminder for us this morning, no matter what you've done, where you've gone, how far away you've gotten or how much you've messed up, you feel like God's plan in your life. God still has grace and forgiveness and restoration and promises and a plan for your life. God still has all of those things. He loves you. He wants to save you if you're not saved. He wants you to fulfill his perfect plan for your life. And and remind yourself where sin did abound, grace did what? Much more abound. Oh, Abram went somewhere he's not supposed to go. He went where God hadn't led him, but he turned around and he went the other way. And God said, I've got all of this still for you, Abram. You didn't mess up my plan. Aren't you glad God loves us in spite of our mistakes? So we see in chapters 12 and 13, we see God's leading to a certain land and we see Abram's obedience. He got up and departed. He left everything comfortable. Then we see God's promise and, and, and we see some amazing promises and Abram responds with what? Worship. And then we see God's testing and we see Abram's response to testing wasn't so good. But then we see Abram's repentance and God's grace. And now here's the title of the message. And our takeaway this week, it comes from the first half of chapter number 12, verse number 10, the first half of that verse. And there was a famine in the land. Here's the title, and here's our application. Don't lose faith because of a famine. Don't lose faith because of a famine. Isn't that what Abram did? I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm worshiping you. I'm trusting your word. I'm leaving what's comfortable. I'm obeying And a temporary testing comes in. And Abram says, forget all that. I'm going somewhere else. Forget all that. I'm trying something else. Forget all that. I've got to take matters into my own hands. I've got to come up with a scheme. I've got to lie. I don't care what I have to do to corrupt my morals. I've got to survive. God let me down. May I say, church, God hadn't let Abram down, and God hasn't let you down. You might be in a season of famine. You might be in a season of testing. You might be in a season of struggle. You might be in a season of confusion and of doubt and of hurt and of pain. That doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. And don't lose faith because of a famine. If God has led you there, trust God. If his word has promised you that, trust his promises. Don't make permanent decisions because of temporary testing. Don't make permanent decisions because of temporary testing. Don't doubt God's plan because it includes some difficult events. Stay where you're supposed to be. Follow the words of God even when it's not all making sense. Don't lose faith because of a famine. Don't compromise your values for temporary gain or pleasure. Today's difficulties don't negate yesterday's promises, and today's struggles don't cancel out tomorrow's joys. Don't lose faith because of a famine. Don't leave the protection and peace found in God's leading because you don't like the way it's turning out. Don't think every day will be difficult just because today is. Don't think God has forgotten you because of unexpected trials. Don't lose faith because of a famine. Are you in a famine today? Probably not literally. I think all of us have access to food today, but figuratively. Life doesn't look like you thought it would. 
Circumstances are confusing and painful. It's a time of drought and famine in your life. It's not a time of deep blessing, it doesn't feel like. There's hunger where there was once satisfaction. There's fear where there was once faith. You're scared, you're anxious, you're discouraged. Church, let me challenge you. Learn from Abram. Don't lose faith because of a famine. It's a season. Stay in Canaan. Don't run to Egypt. If Abram would have learned this lesson here, he would have saved heartache and death and division for hundreds of millions of people throughout history. Instead, even after experiencing God's mercy and miraculous provision, he's going to doubt again and Ishmael will be born, sparking the Arab-Israeli conflict that has waged for thousands of years. So learn from Abraham. Save yourself a whole lot of future heartache. Trust God in the famine. Stay in God's house in the heartache. Stay with God's people through the difficulty. Stay in God's word through the fear. Listen to the voice of God to stay when everything inside of you is screaming to run to the world. Don't lose faith because of a famine. They're always temporary, and they're always under God's control. Keep your eyes on God above you, not the famine around you. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.